a random encounter at a broadcasting facility, a shared interest and love of all things Marvel, Excelsior, a misinterpreted program title, and behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick, podcaster and comic book enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Ron Gardy, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on the worldwide interwebs of social media. Yes, if you're somewhere else, then you're not at home, but regardless, it's the same thing. Go. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at... The Marvelists. You can find us individually on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Peter Melnick. And there's only one place in the whole worldwide interwebs that you can find an Eddie Wilson, and that is Instagram. At Eddie9193. You can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms. Google us. You'll be able to find us, you know... Have RSS feed, will travel. But one of the biggins that we like using is Spotify. I actually sent some uh, podcasts to Eddie today, and for a little bit of research for a future guest that we're going to be having as well, you know, he's very exceptional. That's, he is. That's the spoiler for that. But we can, you can listen to us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, Sunny and share, all that good stuff. See, see. Oh, wait. Was that a spoiler? Wait, Music Factory? Maybe. Yeah, no. Well, everybody dance now. For we work exception. hard, we play hard. But Th- things that make you go, hmm. Remember the uh, Iron Workers of America? Keep chasing that rainbow. <laughs> but you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash... The Marvelists. ...where you can help support the show for as little as $3 a day to as a kaflillion dollars. You know, we, we love the kaflillion. Did we up our rates? $3 oh, a day? Well, three, oh, three, sorry, three dollars a month. Ooh. Thank, thank you, Eddie, for. Be- well, my favorite one recently was the uh, Danny Fingeroth episode where I'm naming off all of our platforms, and I go, spot or tune in radio, Stitcher, blah blah blah, and you go, don't forget Spotify, and I go, I did say Spotify, Eddie. I rewound. I'm like, no, you didn't, dumbass. <laughs> so there we go. It happens. But anyway, Patreon.com/slash The Marvelists. Say it seductively. I can do the Barry White one again. The Marvelists. Oh, baby. Anyway, like I said, Patreon at that website. And for as little as $3 a month, you get early access to episodes, including this here episode, 24 hours before the rest of the world. Right? Crazy, right? Yes, it is. But for $5 a month, you get to go on our fantastic journey called The Fantastic Voyage. I botched that completely. Oh, my God. Stays in. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, stays in like at a day's in, but fantastic voyage where we cover all 102 issues plus annuals plus crossovers plus whatever our little hearts desire of Stan and Jack's iconic Fantastic Four, and then whatever amount you want to pay, you get you know all that good stuff in the previous tiers, and you might be able to guest on the show if you don't suck. Hooray! Yay! The Kermit the Frog. Yay! But I, I did the arms, too, for the audio podcast. Pretty much flailing at that, too. So, yeah, we're just missing the green component. All right. I'm always green with envy. No. You can also support the show at belowthecollar.com slash... The Marvelists. And buy our Dad Joke Immune t-shirt and as well as future designs when I'm not lazy. Anyway, joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string 
is one of my all-time favorite comic book artists. He's a man who's responsible for a run of Amazing Spider-Man, which is one of my, again, one of my all-time favorites that helped get me back into comics in the early 2010s when I read them through paperbacks and whatnot. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined with Ron Garney. Ron, good evening, and apologies for my long palavering introduction. <laughs> wow. Okay, Ron, we're there. You guys still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you are too. It's not easy What's doing this going solo. Down, marvelous. Oh, that's what we're here to find out. Thanks for coming great, along. You guys have great voices for this. Thank you. Very, very animated. Something's got to work. <laughs> right? So, Ron, so it's, what's going on? Ron, it's the cliche question, but cliches lead to great stories. What yeah. was your start in the realm of comics as an adolescent? What was my start in the realm of comics as an adolescent? Um, I wasn't really... Uh, Usually involved in reading them, I would get them sporadically. Um, I, you know, I lived pretty out in the country, and uh, the nearest shop was, you know, half an hour away. And as a kid, you know, you know, you don't have access to those kinds of things. But you know, whatever my mother would bring home or whatever I could find here and there. Um, but I remember all kinds of different comics, Gold Key comics. Uh, uh, Magnus Robot Fighter. Um, mm. I remember, you know, obviously the Disney stuff that you know, Daffy Duck or Donald Duck and uh, things like that. That early on, and the superhero stuff. I remember Kirby and FF and the oversized volumes, and um, and then Iron Man always sticks out in my head for some reason. That book had a, a different feel to it. I, re I remember. Um, so Heavy. it always stuck out in my head and, uh, you know, and then Spider-Man and, you know, all the, all the normal ones, but I wasn't a, a regular reader. I did get a hand, uh, <clears throat> a hand on a bunch of, uh, Warren publications like Vampirella, Creepy, Eerie, and I read the Monster Times and things like that I was into Godzilla and, um, you know, all the stuff we were all into for the most part, but I, I, didn't have subscriptions or anything to, to any comics, just stuff I could get my hands on here and there. So was it true, well, I don't know if Peter made the assumption that you were an adolescent when you first got into this. Was it earlier in life? And, you know, you, like you said, you gravitated more to the sci-fi stuff in those years? Well, Eddie, what's yeah, younger than an adolescent? I, mean, I remember them probably in the late 60s, early 70s. I, that was when I was getting them, early 70s, late 60s. Yeah. Um, you know, and then more towards the mid-70s, you know, I wasn't reading them all that much but then i um you know that's when i started getting a hold of uh some creepies and eerie and stuff i think some a friend of the family's brought them over and and gave them to me to read a whole stack of stuff and famous monsters of film land and yeah uh, you know things like that um the comic stuff I'm trying to remember uh how i got a hold of all that but um yeah so that's basically how it went. Early, early seventies, late sixties, into into the seventies, and then I forgot about them after you know once I got to high school. And you mentioned <clears throat> you mentioned uh, Magnus Robot Fighter, and yeah. the very first thing I think of is that era, the uh, Gold Key comics. Were you yeah, reading uh, Doctor Solar at all? I mentioned that. Yeah, the Gold Key. Oh. Um, was I? Did I read Doctor Solar? Yeah. No, I didn't. I never actually even heard of that. Doctor Solar <laughs> is so like the funniest thing is that comes around the same time as the uh, 
the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. So, you know, you have like Fantastic Four and stuff like that going on. But then you look at those covers and they are some of the trippiest things you will ever see. And they do not look like the, you know, their contemporaries. But then the interiors, you know, they're basic comic fare. But the covers, gorgeous things to look at. I cannot recommend them enough. Oh, wow. That sounds cool. See, I'm just kidding. I remember getting... weird characters. Like, I remember this character called Moomba, the petrified living tree or something. And it had a spirit, a demonic spirit in it. And if you came near it, it would try to swallow people whole and all that. What? And I remember getting Dracula. You know, interesting thing is I remember getting Gene Collins' Dracula with Tom Palmer's inks. But I, I didn't, you know, at that age, early to mid-70s, I, I didn't know who. It was. You know, you don't pay as much attention to the creative teams at that time. And um, it's funny because I remembered, I, I, I told this story recently to someone else. Um, I had gotten one of the comics, Dracula comics, and he He's in a gymnasium, and he's confronting a, a, a weightlifter about something. You know, Dracula is sort of acting like a detective for whatever reason. And he comes in to question this weightlifter, and the weightlifter throws this 200-pound barbell at him, and, the, and Dracula catches it with one hand and then throws it back at the weightlifter, and the weightlifter goes crashing through a wall or something with 200 pounds on his chest. <laughs> but uh, anyway, once I started working with Tom Palmer all those years later, all these years later, when I got into business, he, you know, he sent me a bunch of Xerox copies of the black and whites of Dracula he had done, and I, not knowing, that was in there, and so it kind of came flooding back to me. And it was a real goof to have read it when I was a kid, and to be working with that guy in the future, you know. So it was pretty serendipitous and a real neat moment for me. Yeah, know? it's like you didn't know this was going to be a test later in life. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I was just getting back to the fact that, you know, when you're hitting your adolescence, there's other things that you're interested in. Like you said, you got into high school. You might have taken up a hobby, whether it was model building or, I don't know, girls. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. other distractions, whatever. Yep. I built models. I actually did build models with NPC, a lot of cars. And I actually built some balsa wood, uh, you know, remote control planes and things like that. And um, But I was into girls and sports and music, you know. I'm pretty eclectic like that you know i'm you know i've got my hand in a lot of different things a lot of uh variety of interests so uh yeah once i got to high school it became it becomes much more social you know you're hanging out with different friends and girls get involved and you know you don't you don't spend as much time sitting sitting around reading comic books so um that's basically what happened do you, and then uh, I didn't rediscover them until much later. Yeah, I was going to say, do you remember at what age you were or what the circumstances were where you're like, hey, I think I want to do this for a living? Yeah, um, I was bartending. And uh, I was, all, you know, I'd managed a couple nightclubs, but I was bartending as well. And uh, I was the bartender who I was working with had a comic behind the bar. It was a Secret Wars comic that Mike Zeck had drawn. Uh-huh. Jim Shooter maybe wrote it. And um, so I started looking through, and I'm like, oh, my God, I remember these. It had been, you know, so long. You know, maybe that was like 1984 or 85. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'd been a long time, over a decade, since I had even read them. And um, so I'm like, oh, I remember these. This is really cool. And I was out of college at that point, and I, you know, went to school for illustration and psychology. And, you know, I was more into oil painting. I wanted to be a fantasy illustrator like 
Frazetta or Boris or one of those guys, uh, you know, Michael Whalen. Um, and um, so looking at that, I had always had an interest in composition and photography and the idea of maybe getting into movies and directing and things like that. And then just reading that, you know, now that I had a more mature um, sort of evolved ability to understand what I was looking at, you know, I realized just what a short form of all that that is. You know, the comics are, you know, it's like watching a movie basically, you know, and, you know, in the narrative. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, this is, this would be a lot of fun to do for a living, you know, instead of bartending. And so I kind of got hooked right away. And I, you know, I asked the bartender where he got it and it was a 24 hour bookstore down the street. And I hightailed it down there after work and, you know, um, just sat in there and pulled out all these comics and bought these comic books and, and uh, really just got, hooked on it and I asked the guy behind the counter at one point if how I would go about getting into Marvel and he said well you know there just happens to be a tryout book you could try that and I looked up on the shelf there was a Marvel tryout book a big oversized thing with Spider-Man on it and um, so I'm like oh cool so I took that home and I worked on it worked on it and I sent it in like the day before it was due and uh, you know I waited and waited and I got a rejection letter and um, so that kind of fueled my fire even more to get in. And I just kept at it, kept at it. And then I found out, actually, that Mike Zach, the guy who grew Secret Wars, lived down the road from me, <laughs> believe it or not, mm-hmm. which was really, really strange. And so I, I was like, no way. The guy told me, he said, yeah, I think that guy lives in West Haven. And I lived right down on Forest Road in New Haven, Amity, which is, you know, maybe six, seven minutes away. And uh, so... I looked him up in the phone book, and sure enough, there he was in West Haven. So I gave him a call, which, you know, you can't do nowadays. <laughs> you know, phone books and everything. Um, and I just left him a message on his machine. to said, hey, give me a call back. I'm a guy looking to get in. Maybe you could, you know, give me some advice on what I need to do. So he called me back, and he told me to send him some stuff. So I did, and he called me back again, and he went over it, and told me it was pretty good, and told me to brush up on a few things, and... So I was like, you know, great, thank you so much. And in the meantime, he started coming to the bar where I worked just to hang out. And then he invited me to a couple conventions and things like that. And during all this time, I was getting my samples ready. And then when I was ready, it took you know probably a couple of years before I actually had them ready. You know, between working and you know getting serious about it. And then when I was ready, he brought me into Marvel uh, one day. Uh, with this other guy named Larry Alexander who was trying to get in as well. And um, so he brought me in, and I showed my stuff around at DC and at Marvel, and by the time I got back, I had offers on my answering machine. And that was it. <laughs> so That's a great story. i got to interject just to say, Ron, that you're probably the, the maybe one other person, I can't remember who, has brought up the Marvel Comics tryout book. And I know in a previous yeah. episode that Peter and I have talked about that, and Peter has seen that I do have that. At home, untouched, bagged oh, you do. for oh, the twelve ninety five price. Yeah, it, it is. And I think I'm trying to remember why I even got it to begin with. It was just big. I mean, thirteen dollars, whatever. Twelve ninety five was a lot of money for that. You know, just the size alone. It's a lot of money. I must own this. But for the sake of, I I didn't pursue an interest in you know drawing, writing, color. Maybe the coloring aspect because I think I'd had photocopies of the Marvel characters uncolored in. So I did some with the with the fine 
different color markers and you know made a, a book out of out of that i don't know if i was going to go any further with it but i have an, a virtually untouched pure virgin if well, you will a, you know that's really incredible the fact that there's you have it's untouched is i wonder if it's got to be worth something i don't know i have to look that it thing up, was but, pretty great you know yeah. really a really cool thing for marvel to do for people to for them to scour for talent you know mm-hmm. i think mark badly won it yeah uh, whole thing so um yeah that's great that's amazing i would i would put that in a vacuum sealed (laughs) i'd never touch that thing that's awesome yeah i think the spine's in good shape as well i didn't overly open the pages and everything and yes i remember spider-man on the cover and dr octopus's arms and yeah that's really really amazing so thank you for bringing back back uh, that memory (laughs) which which uh if you remember the order Junior did the interiors on that, and I, I couldn't believe how good he was. I'm sorry, who did the interiors? John Romita Jr. Yes, that's right. Do you remember yeah. the uh, when you did get going in Marvel, which became maybe your first character, or where it went well, from there, and if you have a favorite? Yeah, technically I started at DC. They offered me Animal Man that Grant Morrison was writing. Mm-hmm. And um, so... They asked me if I could do seven pages as sort of a tryout, see if I could do it on time, that kind of thing. And so I agreed to do it, and I killed myself for a week getting, like, the first eight pages done. And then I guess the guy they originally offered it to who had turned it down changed his mind. His name was Chaz Truog, I think. And um, so, they, you know, I brought the pages in, and they were like, oh, you know, this guy changed his mind, sorry, you know. So they kind of gave him my pages to go off of, and then um, I got paid for them. And then, uh, you know, I had another offer from Marvel, so that's what I went with. It was G.I. Joe. Well, I kind of got two offers. I got offered G.I. Joe, but then while I was doing G.I. Joe, uh, Danny Fingeroff, the editor of Moon Knight, called me and asked me if I would do Moon Knight. So, me not, you know, I was just so tickled that I was getting offers. It was just so amazing, you know. And because, you know, when before back then, it's like Marvel's like this mecca, you know. It's like you get into Marvel, you you know, it's just the hugest thing in your mind. It's like larger than life, you know. So I didn't want to turn anything down. And what I didn't know was Bobby Chase, the editor on G.I. Joe, was going to offer me G.I. Joe as a regular gig. And then that's so why I was doing G.I. Joe, and then I agreed to do Moon Knight. I guess it caused some problems with the editors because, you know, so they had to, because of that, they had to, they made this new rule that they had to consult with each other to make sure the artist was free uh, before they would offer anything to anyone else so they didn't undercut each other, you know. So that's basically what started. I mean, so I did the G.I. Joe, but then I, you know, I went to Moon Knight. That's how it happened. The rest is history. And in regards to, you know, working on a title like a G.I. Joe and a Moon Knight, what is, obviously, other than the uh, types of stories they tell, what is the biggest difference for yourself as an artist with those? Well, you know, it's funny. I don't I don't know about everybody else, but for me, you know, I kind of go on feeling when I'm reading the, these things, read the scripts, and, and I try to get a feel for what the book is going to look like and even back then i can remember you know gi joe was very technical you know i had to it was a real learning curve because i had to uh, make everything accurate according to you know because they had a deal with hasbro for the action figures and the 
vehicles. And so they sent me all these, these toys that I had to reference from, and I had to be pretty exact. So I was killing myself trying to get these things to look right, you know, and make sure that even the guns were right that they, they used. And, like, the Saw Viper had a specific rifle that, you know, he had to use. And so it was a lot of heavy referencing. So it was a much more technical experience. And plus it was my very first comic book, so it was a real eye-opener to do 22 pages, I think it was. Um, you know, just starting out of the starting gate on a, on a, on a deadline, you know, I had never done that before. So that, you know, again, I was pulling all nighters, you know, I didn't want to blow, blow this career. So I was really bending over backwards to get the stuff done. And then once I got to moon Knight, it was a completely different story. Obviously it was very ethereal and, uh, organic and because, uh, Mark DeMattis, uh, he's a great writer. He wrote Craven's Last Hunt with Mike Zach, actually. And he was he wrote this story called Scarlet Redemption. Uh, and that was the first story I, I drew on that. And it was very, like I said, ethereal and lots of mist. And, and that, uh, God knows any artist loves, you know, four pages of mist. <laughs> so it was a, it was a, it was a nice uh, payback for how I killed myself on G.I. Joe to go to Moon Knight and there were, you know, a lot of very easy pages to draw in there. But it was very organic and then I was working with Tom Palmer on that. I worked with Fred Fredericks on G.I. Joe for inking and then I, you know, then when I got to Moon Knight I was very excited because it was Tom Palmer and I had read the Avengers and things like that before I got into Marvel, you know, during those times uh, when I started reading them again at the bar. And Tom was inking John Buscema. So I was, again, you know, it was like, uh, you know, under the moon or over the moon, you know. The, the moon night. Working with Tom Palmer. And um, so that's, you know, and so it was much different. You know, it was a much different experience on those two books. And in regards to, uh, you know, you mentioned with G.I. Joe that you had to do a lot of stuff involving Hasbro where they're sending you things. You also, I imagine, have to factor in a lot of, you know, editorial notes, not from Marvel, but Hasbro themselves saying, oh, no, do this, do this, do this. Whereas on the Marvel end of things, of like a Marvel-owned character like Mooney, they, you know, it's much more in line with what Marvel wants as opposed to Hasbro, who is more demanding probably. Yeah, I don't recall too many, uh, so long ago, dude, it was like 35 years ago, whatever it was, 30-something, 31 years ago. But I don't recall so many of the notes, per se. Um, all I know is they sent me all the action figures and things, and, you know, and I had to refer them to them in the script. And, you know, I don't recall getting too many of those notes, just just that I had to make them accurate. So. With, the, uh, with the action figures, do you still have them, or did you eventually flip them? Because those things cost no, a pretty penny. No, I still <laughs> have them somewhere up in a box in the attic. You know, I've kept them stored away for uh, decades now. And There's some. One of the things, you know, with you working on Moon Knight as well in the past couple of years, Moon Knight has slowly but steadily been getting, you know, an increase in popularity and we're going to be getting a Disney Plus series coming soon with, you know, the character. It's interesting that that era of Moon Knight, early 90s to mid 90s Moon Knight, has not seen the light of day in terms of, you know, republication. It's always the uh, 1970s, 1980s and then the 2000s. I'd like to see, you know, your era (laughs) of Moon Knight. Because they hated what I did on it. It's so strange that that era has not, you know, returned, and I would love to read it. I don't know. 
I mean, I, 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 I sort of see why. I mean, the Sienkiewicz era was amazing. You know? Oh, yeah. I loved his art. Yeah, I don't know. I, who doesn't? I mean, he's the guy's just an incredible savant of art. Um, so, you know, I, when you look back at them, I mean, in the stories, I mean, it was really a great time back then, I think, for comics. It wasn't, you know, it was just very creative. And I just think, you know, people, we are very nostalgic creatures, people who read comics anyway. And I just think, you know, people always refer back to the things they think fondly of. And that happens to be one of the greatest times for that character. So, you know, maybe that's why. Well, I still want that era of Moon Knight, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't seen any any reprints of it or anything, so I don't know. You know, Sienkiewicz did some of the covers, though, which I was really happy about. It's funny that, you know, I'm I'm a Marvel Unlimited subscriber, and even on there hasn't even, you know, reached it. And you would would think, but Mm. mm, I'm shrugging. Audio podcast. Man, maybe you should start. You know, start sending your letters. Strongly worded, no less. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> you Dear sir, I am not a crackpot, but I want... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Ron, <clears throat> with, the, with the respect to, and I was looking through uh, somewhat of a uh, bibliography of the stuff that you've done, whether it's been, you know, interior pencil work and inker and writer... And I'm not only looking and saying, hey, wait, hey, wait, I have that. I have that. I know that. I see that. I Okay, right. Just, you know, not knowing names growing up, but just seeing them month after month as you're reading whatever title that you as an individual are into and stuff. But are there any particulars, given the different tasks that you've had to do, what you maybe favor if you had your choice, you'd rather do one versus the other type of assignment? or? Um, I'm... I'm... Uh, I'm not sure I follow. You mean which character would I rather do? Or no, I mean the type of work, whether it's the pencils or the covers. Oh, or, oh, oh. You know. um, well, I'm doing what I want to do now. I just I pencil and ink it myself, and when I can color it, you know, it's just uh, I, I found that. I mean, I love a lot of the inkers I've worked with. You know, they all have something good to offer, but it's never fully you. So I just like doing it myself. You know, it's like it's like any anybody, you know, uh, um, Gary Larson wouldn't have been Gary Larson had he had someone else working over. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, <laughs> but for me, uh, you know, penciling and inking it and sometimes coloring it, you know, I get it's it's much more satisfying for me because I don't have to tailor the work to anybody else's strengths. You know, like a lot of times I found myself penciling in a way that depending on who I was working with at the time, you know, like <clears throat> I worked with Sal Bissema, for instance, and I love that guy. His, his thing was always one of my, some of the most favorite stuff I've ever had on me, you know, um, or in just in general, he's one of my favorite guys. And, um, but I found myself cleaning it up, you know, so much that it wasn't really maybe so much my, um, what came natural to me because I'm a much more kinetic sort of uh, I wouldn't say impatient but aggressive artist um, naturally and so I found myself cleaning it up you know because I knew Sal was going to ink it you know and so that's that's basically why I enjoy doing it because it's free frees me up to just be myself you know fully 
Well, then let me uh, let me give you a follow up to that because I see again a breakdown of the pencils as the inks, and there's a listing of covers. Now, if you did a cover, educate me and anybody else who might not be uh, sure. Does that mean that's everything on the cover is what you did? Pretty much, yeah. All the components I mean, I, I of don't making. Know which ones you're looking at, though? There were some, you know, there were some. There was a period of time where I was just doing enhanced pencils because there was there's something about the scanned pencils that there's a real beauty to it, but it's a hit or miss thing. Um, if you can get it just right, I really think it's an untapped. Well, not untapped, but it's a there's something there that could be really gorgeous, you know. And I've seen some guys really pull it off. In gorgeous ways, you know, just scanning the pencils and coloring those. And mm. um, so I was playing around a lot with that. It was also sort of a way I could still just see myself on the page rather than have an anchor come in and, you know, and sort of because some anchors can be very dominating, you know, um, or change things. And like I said, more, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about all the guys I've worked with. But you get to a point where you just want it to be you, you know. And um, so, I, yeah, that's probably it, just penciling and inking. And if I can color them, I will. Um, like the latest Berserker cover, the uh, the second print foil I did, uh, that pencils, inks, and colors I did on it. So it's, it's just fun to do the whole thing. Because you got to remember, too, I was, a, I was a, a fantasy illustrator. You know, I was a painter. So I have a... Like, you know, I really studied color a lot when I was younger. Um, so, and I would tend to work with the colorist pretty closely when I can and, you know, try to offer as much insight as I can into what they, they produce. And I, I like to think I have good relationships with all of them. Um, so it's a growing experience for everyone involved. And then one other thing, too, in terms of writing, I see the miniseries Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. How long, if you recall, did that take to put together, or and, and the idea that it, you know, started with any of that information? Uh, yeah. Well, you're starting to go down some territory here. Uh, that was on the heels of the whole Heroes Return thing, and I mean, I I don't know if I'll ever know or get a real straight answer as to what happened there. But when I came back onto Cap, you know, Marvel basically begged Mark and I to come back after Heroes Reborn. And then they were doing Heroes Return, and, you know, they wanted us back on. And I love Cap, you know. And uh, they made me a pretty good offer on it, um, I guess, as I recall. And so I came back to it. But it it was like trying to capture lightning in a bottle again. What Mark and I had done, you know, really had such a great response that, it was always going to be hard to follow it up because it's like, you know, the first time it was like a, basically like aborting a baby, you know, it just, it just gets cut off and that's it. And, um, you know, so to come back, it's just, it's like starting over. And I had evolved based on things I had done already. Again, after that, I had done surfer after that. And, you know, and my artistic style started changing. And when I was on tap the first time, you know, I was really focused on, I had a complete look for the book and I was really building momentum and starting to get my legs under me for it and really trying to create something special, but I got, you know, the rug pulled out. So when I came back, I, I couldn't recapture that as well. Um, anyways, and because of that, and because of the scheduling, and this is where I, 
you know, I really had to make a choice here because, you know, they started bugging me about the schedule. and I wanted to be good, you know. And so because of my early history doing comics and being, a you know, a machine and trying to meet the deadlines and trying to get keep a career going because I thought, you know, you had to make deadlines and, you know, and um, you have to make sure that they get in, be professional and things like that. So when they would ask, they start busting my chops about you know getting the book in. I, you know, I would do it. I would start, you know, going faster and faster and trying to make. And I think I did one of the issues of Cap in a week. Hmm. Okay. And that's unheard of. Most guys can't do that. I did, or I did like 18 pages of it in a week, and it looked like crap. To be honest with you, you know, I did it. You know, the editor's happy, but I'm not happy. The fans aren't happy. They look and go, "What is this shit?" And so basically what ended up happening was Andy Kubert came along and uh, you know, I think Mark Wade wanted to work with Andy Kubert and I got taken off and they offered me to do Sentinel Liberty instead. And it was more of a, you know, you could co-write it, you know, we really want to launch this, you know, but it wasn't the flagship title. And, uh, you know, depending on whose story you get, from my point of view, it felt like a consolation prize and I wasn't happy about it. So I only did a few issues of that, and I was, you know, and at that time, the comic industry was so rife with bullshit, you know, like um, it was so over competitive, and you know, and a lot of it was because of Wizard Magazine, and you had top ten lists, and you know, and everybody was egos got really seduced by all that, and so um, everybody wanted to be on the hot book. And for me, you know, when I wanted Cap, I wanted to do characters I wanted to do, you know. And so when I got off Cap the first time when they took it took it away, they asked me what I want to do. Anything I wanted to do, they said. Hmm. And, you know, I could have chosen X-Men. I could have chosen, no, but I didn't. I wanted to do Surfer. That was the book I wanted to do because I loved the character. And it wasn't selling anything, as I recall. So I went on that, you know. And it, they told me it jumped up, you know, like 20,000 copies a month, you know, once I went on it, probably because of the success of Cap. But I just wanted to do books I wanted to do and um, the characters I, I wanted to have fun drawing. And so by the time the Sentinel Liberty thing came around, I was really getting exhausted from the politics of it and getting bounced around. And, you know, I couldn't seem to get a footing on any title where I could just stay on it for a long length of time and really make, you know, I mean, look at Mark Bagley. How long was he on Spider-Man, you know? or JR or those guys, you know, but I kept getting taken off and hey, we'll give you this, you know. So, and I do think it's a byproduct of the fact that I was fast. And so when I'm fast, it wasn't good, you know. And um, so that's basically how Sentinel Liberty happened. And I, you know, kind of co-plotted it with Mark. We talked on the phone and come up with these stories and, you know, and that's how it happened. But I knew I was long for that because I was just really unhappy with uh, the way that went it just didn't feel right so i quit you know and then after that the hulk came along i think it was and um yeah so and that's the character i wanted to do and they asked me if i wanted to do it i'm like yes i'd love to do the hulk who doesn't want to draw a big giant green monster so that's how it all unfolded and you know with the character of the hulk there's so many different visual interpretations what was the, with your interpretation, what was the thing you wanted to do to set yours apart from everybody else's? Uh, I don't know that I wanted to set it apart. I just knew that I wanted to put 
all, you know, I just, I, I try to transfer that glee of doing that character into, into the, into the look, you know, and all that energy and the anger and you try to, you know, and really just make him so big and powerful and, because to me, again, it's a, again about the feeling. You can make it look cool, but when he's really in motion and you want to feel his feet should feel like they're so heavy, you know, like when they hit the ground, like you feel the ground shake, you know, all those things you kind of want to try as best you can to push through the, the penciling and push through the character and the figure, give it weight and mass. Like nobody's, you know, nobody can. And just, oh, just really push, push, push that envelope and that's what I try to do with the Hulk and you know and it was you know my enthusiasm helped you know I just it's just fun for me I get to draw this big green monster what's not fun about that and so that I just try to I think it came through you know ultimately um and then once again John Byrne got fired and it became a tumultuous relationship and <laughs> so it was just another one you know another one uh under my belt at that point would you say you were a burn victim? I'm so sorry for that joke. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, I got along with John fine. You know, I think he, I think, you know, he might have blamed me for him getting fired, but it wasn't my fault. You know, I was sort of caught in the middle between him and the editor at the time. And, um, you know, and, and I saw both sides, you know, they were both calling me and I'm like, uh, you know, you know, I saw both sides. I saw what John was doing wrong. I saw kind of the way the editor was handling it wrong, you know. But ultimately, I do think um, John is responsible for him getting fired. And, uh, you know, and I, I I always got along with him. I know a lot of fans didn't. Um, you know, I think getting to know him, there's a side of him that a lot of people don't see. And I think he stubbornly doesn't show it because, the fans are the way some of them are respond to him the way they do, you know, and they, you know, he can be acerbic. And so the way they respond and come back at him. So he becomes stubborn and he becomes worse and worse, you know, so it's a, it was just a tenuous relationship between him and the fans. I haven't spoken to him in years myself. Have you seen his, uh, X-Men, uh, elsewhere that he has, he's publishing online. What's it called? Uh, X-Men elsewhere. It's like, I guess it takes place after dark Phoenix and it's like, it's oh, really? his own fan fiction. I kind of heard something about it, but no i haven't seen it how is it i love it it's it's the raw pencils and you know he he uh does the uh word balloons and whatnot but it's it is a really cool book to look at it's basically him just throwing whatever he wants to do at the wall and seeing what sticks and it's so what did marvel give him like ask him to do this or no it's, he's literally doing it on his uh burn robotics forum and he's just throwing it on there and it actually led to some awkward moments um some fans started taking like pdfs sending them to a publishing company you know like a independent publisher to you know pay for publishing for themselves getting copyright violations and all that stuff burns really? hearing about it oh yeah and he's wow so he, Mar so but it's all marvel characters yeah he's doing it um cb sabolsky himself he he was in contact when he got uh he took the reins at marvel cb he wanted to bring him back because he said I love what he's doing with this, and nothing came about of it. But <laughs> the funniest thing you mentioned, you know, the relationship burned with fans. Mm -hmm. One person, <laughs> I won't name a name, but because I don't know their name, but um, basically said, "I, you know, 
if when conventions are a thing again, I want to walk up to John Byrne and give him $20 for all of the hard work he's done, you know, pay him back. And I'm like, that is incredibly socially awkward. No, don't do that, fan. Don't do that whatsoever. <laughs> but the but the story is well, really cool because, again, if you want to check it out, it is on there. Would you, would you yeah, care for a spoiler? Uh, would you care for a spoiler pertaining to what he does in there? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Stop right there. Because <laughs> he does some really cool stuff. I'm not even going to say. Yeah, no, but... I want to read it on my own. Don't tell me anything. He's got, I, I think he's got 20 issues worth right now. I'll send you the link later. Oh, that's crazy. No kidding. It's, uh, it's there's a, him in years. He, you know, he's a guy who just loves this stuff, you know, and I think, you know, I do think maybe he's a little thin skinned about people who don't love it. I don't know, you know, but I love what he does. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's got quite a storied career and I, you know, and he's, he's actually, one of the guys that really got me back into this. I mean, cause his, it was the secret war stuff. But when I went down to that store, I picked up a lot of his FFs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the first books I read after the secret wars one was this FF issue called season of the witch or, or something. Mm-hmm. It was involving Mephisto and the FF were living in Connecticut, you know, and under these assumed identities and, uh, it was just so cool. It was the coolest shit I ever seen at the time. You know, it was like, and you know, and I think it was Agatha Harkness was in it. And it was just it was like the, the the ideas were just so fun to read. You know, that he really had some some really great stuff going on. You know, and um, so naturally, I, I got me to start buying all these back issues and with Galactus and all. Oh, kinds of crazy thing you know crazy stories that were just the coolest thing and i think um yeah he's one of my favorites of all time it's really funny though hearing somebody who's a big john byrne fan that their introduction to the man's work is not through x-men but rather fantastic four that's like a rarity yeah no see that's the thing is i i don't have the history like all you guys do (laughs) i mean you know most of the people i know who i work i've worked with they're like encyclopedias of this stuff, and I am completely, completely ignorant of it. And um, so uh, I'll, I'll be done in a minute, a little while, honey. Sorry, my daughter just flew in here. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I, I, I don't really know a lot of the characters and the backstories and the history and this and that. And, I, you know, and I'll be perfectly honest, I haven't really even fully read all of that old, old X-Men stuff he did, you know, I um i've read some old things and some not you know and but you know it's amazing to me how much lore there is that people you know people have in their heads the hardcore x-men fans with continuity though i i always talk you know whenever we get like somebody involved with editing on i always pity you know whoever has to do deal with the x-men continuity because there are hardcore hardcore fans who are just like well actually in you know panel number 17 of you know whatever i'm just like jesus yeah, I noticed that, you know, in my in my career that the fans can be like even when I went on the Hulk, I mean, they they're very loyal, I think to their particular perspective, you know, and I can understand why because you know, with each run, each writer, each artist, it contributes to somebody coming on the book and escaping into that world. And it's that combination of 
artist, writer, you know, creative team, colorist, whatever, that really sucks the person in. And so when when somebody else comes along to take it over, it becomes an imposter and they feel it scares them that they're going to lose that escape. And it does. And sometimes it does. Sometimes they do get jolted out of it. But, you know, how many times have you picked up a comic and saw it's a different artist and all of a sudden you can't quite read it the same way, you know, because the escape, the, the artwork, kind of keeps you in that world and if it's a different different um if it's different you know it can it can suck you out of it i mean i, I remember reading walt simon's story that was one of my other favorites i mean i could not wait for that guy's stuff you know the, the ragnarok and the, you know the searcher saga and all that and i, I would just because i'm really into mythology and so thor pushed all the buttons for me especially the way walt wrote it I would sit under trees and just absorb, you know, I would just get totally lost in it. And it was funny because I can't remember if there was a different artist or, or someone who came in as a, as an, you know, just a monthly a replacement for that month, it would jolt me out of it. And I couldn't quite get into it as much, but uh, I remember Sal came on one issue uh, after, after the Surter saga where Thor got, you know, he was pretty beaten up and he got, he went up to these and to these ice mountains where his uncle or somebody lived, and this old guy or his Odin's brother, and he nursed him back to health. And Sal drew it; it was so beautifully done. That was one of the rare times where, just for that story, it was like magic because Sal's work was so perfect for it. But sometimes you don't always get that, you know. Not and it's not a slam on the artists who fill in; it's just that people, you know, they're very loyal to the escape. And one of the you know most iconic runs that you got to be involved with is adding your name to the annals of artists to work on The Amazing Spider-Man. And you were involved during the Civil War era. And I'm not talking about yeah. 1860-something, but I'm talking about the battle between Tony and Cap. And you got yeah. to be involved with the issues of J. Jonah Jameson being very litigious with Peter Parker. And yeah. being the guy, you know, penciling those scenes... That must have been, you know, a real thrill to be able to do. Yeah, that was one of my favorite storylines. That was real fun, that thing. Um, you know, I don't normally... I'm not normally a huge supporter of things that get too political, you know, because when it starts taking sides or, you know, and, I, you know, there's always a danger of propaganda in there. and um, But that particular story was... I thought so well done. Um, and so, I don't know, man, it felt important to draw it. And, um, you know, and it didn't quite, you know, you could always, you could kind of lean towards two different sides at different points during the story, you know? And so it was a great story to tell, you know, I really enjoyed it. And it was, yeah. And to see, and to have these guys fighting against each other. I mean, that's kind of why we, you know, kind of harkens back to the early days when you, Daredevil takes on Namor, and it's a very simple story that Stanley or whoever would write, you know, because you just want to see these super-powered characters go up against each other, and who would win? It's like, you know, you're like a kid with two action figures, you know? And so that story, you know, that's kind of why I think Secret Wars got me into it, because you had all these characters, the Beyonder, treating them like, you know, the Beyonder was basically like a comic fan. I think that was the, the idea of it. And um, 
he put all the characters on the, the planetoid to fight each other, and it's like a big kid with action figures. And, and that's kind of what sucks you into all this, is you always want to see who's stronger. That's why we watch UFC fights and, you know, and things like that, is who's got the better technique and who's stronger, who's got more power or whatever. And this kind of touched upon all of that, but it had a real message in there, a real polarized sort of um, position on each side. So it had real gravitas to it. It wasn't just characters fighting, but there was a real reason. It wasn't just some, uh, you know, a, a being from another dimension controlling them. This was, you know, this was a real tug of war as to the culture and future of, of you know, of everything, basically. So, yeah, it was fun to do. And it's one of those big events where, you know, the one time, you know, tie-ins are actually really important. If you want to read the whole story, because, well... There was that one summer I was unemployed, and I read the entirety of Civil War. <laughs> what a magical time that was. That Not one getting... <laughs> summer. That sounds like a great movie title. <laughs> that one summer I was unemployed, and then it goes from there, and it's like summer 42 where you're, you know, you meet some woman. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me so off guard. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much you could do with that title. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> We'll bring in Ron Howard. <laughs> um, sure. But anyway, uh, just like, you know, reading that whole event and just how everything ties in, it's like it was perfect how that story was. Yeah. Yeah, it was really great. I enjoyed it. I was proud to be a part of that. You know, and then I you know, and I did the uh, went from that to I did Back in Black. And when it, I think Joe came on, Joe Casada came on after me and did I don't. I think something with Mephisto or whatever. The less One, said about it, the better. <laughs> I love Joe, but that story. I, I didn't read it. I, you know, I, all I heard was everybody was bitching about it. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's all I'm gonna say as a loyal uh, webhead. But well, Ron, in your time at Marvel, are there any recollections you want to share with uh, maybe meeting or conversing with Stanley? Uh, yeah, I met, I actually did a store signing with him, um, down in Stanford. We sat next to each other. Uh, that was so many years ago. I think it was when I was on cap and, uh, you know, it just, he was so Stanley, you know, he really got into being that guy, you know, I mean, not surprisingly because he was like a comic character himself. He became that, um, but he was fun to talk to just to sit and sit next to was a goof, you know, and I'd run into him here and there at parties or whatever, you know, but there were no real moments that stand out in my mind other than that it's, hey, it's Stanley, hey, Ron, how are you? You know, that kind of thing. Excelsior and so forth, yeah. anyway. Captain America was amazing, was awesome, you know, and I think he really got into the, into those, um, <laughs> that hyperbole. So, uh, that's all I remember, you know, I'm, you know, I would even run into him on the street in New York here and there. So when I'd be walking to Marble, but um, yeah, that's it. And so. of course, and it, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about the biggest thing to happen in your career, and that is Berserker over at Boom Studios. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird thing to happen, huh? It is insane. And first off, I got to tell you, first off, congratulations on that, especially the Kickstarter, especially just everything involving this hot damn yeah it's really turned into a phenomenon like 
uh, you know, I mean, we all kind of expected it probably would do well, but it really became this big juggernaut of a thing, you know, and um, even Keanu and I had talked about that. Like, he, he even said he was kind of surprised at how big it became. We were, you know, we were talking like a couple of weeks ago on Skype and both sort of like, wow, can you believe how, you know, how big it got so quickly? And, you know, and I'm, and I, my obvious response to him as well, I mean, you're, <laughs> you know, look who you are. I mean, obviously it's, I expected some of that, but it really, for myself, if I'm going to talk personally about it, I'm very happy with the response I've gotten personally on, you know, the efforts I put in and, and for Bill, the colorist, and, you know, everybody involved. It was, um, it's been a real happy thing for all of us. So, And it's, uh, it's funny because you, you say that Keanu is so surprised about it. The funniest thing is that is so like his character, who yeah, he no, is, because he is humble. Yeah. He's just a guy, yeah. He's a good dude. Ron, any backstory for those who might not be familiar with Berserker and how it came about, anything like that? Uh, well, how it came about, um, let's see. It's funny because COVID happened and then Juggernaut was, you know, they put Juggernaut on hiatus and, you know, they weren't sure they were going to finish it. And, then they, you know, and so during that time, it was like, my contract was almost up anyway. And they're like, if you want to just break it early and find work because, you know, cause they felt bad that, you know, cause it's money and I got kids and things like that. And so, um, and I wasn't sure I wanted to renegotiate my contract or, you know, so it was all up in the air. And uh, I had been itching to get out and do something different, maybe take time off. And <clears throat> cause I've been on the regular grind for 30 something years and uh, so I wanted to go do my own thing, maybe even just do commissions for a while, do paintings, and maybe do a show. I wasn't sure. And uh, so then I just happened to get an email from Boom. <clears throat> they said, "Hey, uh, just wondering what your availability is. Uh, can you can you can we give you a call?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, give me a shout." You know. So they called me, and you know, I said, "Well, it's funny. I just happened to." You don't like contract. Yeah, a few pages of juggernaut left and I'm done. I said, why? What's up? And they said, well, we have this thing we're doing with, you know, Keanu Reeves. And I was like, what? <laughs> Keanu Reeves. I'm like, you know, the Keanu Reeves actor, Neo guy. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he really loves your work. You know, we sent him a bunch of stuff and he loves, loves your work. And, you know, and you think we could talk to you about it. And I said, well, honestly, you know, at first I was hesitant because I really didn't want to jump from a frying pan into another frying pan, you know. And so they said, can you do a Zoom meeting? I'm like, and I honestly, I wasn't even sure if this was a thing where Keanu just was, let, you know, licensing his name out for a book, you know. So I wasn't sure how involved he was or anything. But I said, sure, yeah, we can do a Zoom meeting. And so I clicked the button that Wednesday and there's Keanu staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's like, hey, Ron. Like, hey, <laughs> and there was a bunch of other guys, you know, Matt, the editor, Eric, and, you know, so it was pretty, pretty wild, you know, and it was a goof, you know, it was a bit trippy, you know, I'm like, all of a sudden I'm staring at Keanu Reeves looking at me, and, um, did you tell him he's breathtaking? Yeah, <laughs> I did not tell him that, um, but we talked for a while, we had a lot in common, and it turns out, um, you know, we know some guys from the jiu-jitsu world, uh, you know, some mutual acquaintances, and 
Uh, one of one of my friends texted him, who knows him, because he's the security, he owns a security guard agency that Keanu uses. He was for John Wick in New York, and um, and I happen to know the guy pretty well. He's from Jiu-Jitsu, and and so he texted Keanu, he texted me, you know, we talked, you know, Keanu, like, oh yeah, yeah, we both, you know, talking about that guy, and so it was, it was interesting. It kind of felt serendipitous in a way, you know, um, so. I yeah I agreed to do it and here we are. <laughs> and yeah. the the Kickstarter alone, like it, I believe it broke records, didn't it? Like it blew up within yeah, like one and a half million, I think, and and and, and you know, uh, so yeah, pretty big. <laughs> I don't know much about Kickstarters, you know. I never really I see you know I've seen people do that. You know, it was something I never thought I would be involved in. You know, I just. It's just not my thing, but yeah, I you know. So they told me what they were doing. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know. And um, who knew? <laughs> who was going to do that? Just took off like a shot. And, so. and Boom were like very, you know, accommodating to creators, especially you know they recently when the whole Kickstarter thing happened with Berserker, they ended up donating to a bunch of other comic creators. Kickstarters, including friend of the show Ryan Tavares with his series Nomads, and just like yeah, well, they're definitely trying to help the industry. The yeah. industry needs to cut the arm, and you know they're they're good, great guys to work with. They you know nothing but positive things to say about them. You know, um, uh, it's been fun. Um, we all, you know, we all seem to be on the same page, and um, and they seem to care. Uh, you know, and I think they're sort of trying to get a hold of this juggernaut that they've created as well because all of a sudden it's catapulted their company into something larger than you know i think they're they're getting the top books now over marvel and dc and you know um, that's not been a common thing to happen for many many eons for anyone so as far as i can recall um so yeah so so yeah, they're just uh, you know they're they're definitely trying to help, and I think it has helped, and I think they're just sort sort of tapping into the future of how to get certain things made because it can be very frustrating, you know, when companies have a stranglehold on the market, you know, and uh, you got to find different ways to get your stuff out there that can be noticed that aren't under those banners, you know, and that you can own yourself, and and so I think they're opening up the door, and I think it's the wave of the future if you really want to things going you know you can't nothing stays the same you know and if it does it starts to stagnate and becomes something else that you know isn't what it used to be and you know and i you know to be perfectly frank i see some of that you know and and some of the things that are coming out now and well i just don't think it's you know what a lot of people want to dig into so who knows you know but uh, i think it's a good thing they're doing for everyone and in regards to Berserker, it is everything John Wick is bumped up to 11, in my opinion. Like, John Wick already is intense. I'm literally, I'm flipping through my digital copy, and on page 9, you had Keanu punch a guy through the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Keanu's, a, Keanu's uh, an intense, intense dude. Yeah, you know, when I started doing it, I was pulling back a little bit on that stuff because with Marvel, I had to. You know, I couldn't show a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, so over the years, I kind of got conditioned to 
naturally pull back. And, to, and then when I did Men of Wrath, I was able to open up quite a bit. The Men of Wrath was like that, very violent. Um, so you saw a lot more of that coming from me in Men of Wrath. So when Keanu said to me, he's like, hey, man, can we punch it up a little bit? I'm like, sure. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You yeah. know, and uh, I, you know, and I still find myself having to push myself in that direction at times. And Keanu's got a very, it's interesting for him coming into comics, his first comic, but his, all of his experience in storytelling and movies, you know, camera shots and things like that, you can, it comes through here. Um, you know, from all the talks we've had, I've been impressed with his natural ability to come in and, and uh, uh, you know, tell the story he wants to tell. So um, it's been it's been great, you know, and I'm having a ball doing it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the first issue is very action oriented and, you know, but, you know, there were some um, not misgivings, but some concerns about where it was going to go after that. But it's all it's. It's for a reason, you know. It's not just gratuitous. You'll see as the story the story unfolds. And again, one of the things about the series, you know, I mentioned to you briefly off mic, like you nail his likeness for this. You can tell one hundred and ten percent it is him. And yeah, you know, it's it's pretty easy actually. Well, for me, you know, the, my secret to doing it for me is I don't look at photos of him. You know, I kind of I well. In the beginning, I looked at him. I was looking at his face. I was looking at the the uh, symmetry of his face and his eyes, and I was just studying it for a bit. But I made a deliberate point not to look at any photos. So once I started drawing, I just had that symmetry in my head and certain things, the way his face looked, the way his jaw might look, you know, and things like that. And because of that, I was able to get an animated piano out of it. Because when you use photos and you start photo referencing it, shows and it sucks away a little bit of the life of the of of because the character has to live and breathe on its own on the page and if you're just referencing from a photo it looks like you're referencing from a photo it's not an animated thing that's living on its own so for me i was able to get Keanu's likeness and get him to live and breathe on the page by not referencing him so it worked out really well there's one page in particular where he's rips the guy's arm off and he kind of turns towards the camera as the bullets are whizzing by him and that one in particular and then another shot of him standing over these dead guys on top of a roof and those things just happen so naturally and they look exactly like him so and it was just from you know looking at the symmetry of his face and stuff so I'm, I'm pretty happy with it and as it's evolving it's starting you know I'm also happy that the character's turning into its own thing, you know, because I don't want it to be Berserker has to be Berserker and Keanu has to convey a different character on the screen when it happens. And so I'm happy that it's, you know, coming into its own as its own, it's breathing and living on its own, you know, if that makes sense. I think so. And, you know, one of the uh, very first things that you see in the story is the opening shot of Keanu sitting on the park bench in the rain. And I have to ask, there is a photo of Keanu where he's sitting solemn on a park bench. Is that a reference to that meme? Because I feel like it is. No, I don't know that it was meant to be. I think it was just part of the story and it just happened that way. Um, you know, the East turned into an Easter egg. Um, because I know the park bench. I didn't know about it until I got involved, because, you know, involved in this project about the park bench thing. And but it was about the character, you know, this B character, this immortal guy, 
He's waiting for his special ops team to arrive. And so he just happens to be sitting on a bench and kind of leaned over, and it just happened that way. So I don't, I don't, maybe Matt Kent kind of slipped it in there on purpose. I don't know for sure. Um, but I, as I recall, Keanu said it wasn't meant to happen that way, it just sort of did. That's fun. That, it's funny that there is that, you know, that random coincidence where it can be like, yeah. Was that a reference? Eh, sure. <laughs> but yeah, well, there's also the red and blue pill in there. So, huh? You didn't catch that one? I did not. Some things, uh, some things go by my head. <laughs> yeah, well, when when he's on the helicopter, or, or was it a helicopter? Um, or when he's talking to the doctor, he slips him a pill, and it's a red and blue pill, which is sort of. You know, Bill Crabtree sort of let that in there uh, as a little Easter egg for the Matrix. Oh. So now, Ron, before we conclude this episode, we want to say thank you for speaking with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And again, as a longtime fan of Spider-Man, especially with that run, it is hands down one of my favorites and part of what got me back into being a comic book fan. So again... Thank you so much for your involvement in bringing oh, me back here. I, I appreciate that. It's you know, it's it's that kind of thing that makes this all worthwhile. Any uh, things in the future, Ron? Besides, you know, when we can get out to cons and stuff, conferences and things like that, conventions, uh, we'll see you out there. Or any other works that you're looking to get into next? Focus Berserker right now. You know, it's such a big project. You know, it's, I've got nine more issues to get through at least, and. Um, you know, so I'll see what happens after that. And then there's the movie that's going to be on Netflix, and there's going to be an animated series based on that. And I don't know if I'm going to have involvement in that. I'm hoping to. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I'm just sort of playing it by ear at this point. But I'll be – the only convention I'm doing is because all the conventions have been closed up. There's one here in Connecticut. But they're still social distancing some of it. And at this point, it seems so ridiculous at this point. Um, but – there's, you know, it's at uh, Mohegan Sun Resort and Casino here in Connecticut, so I'll be there for that. And as far as anything else, I don't, you know, I don't have know of anything even coming up for conventions or anything yet. So. It sounds like Terrificon to me. Yeah, exactly, Terrificon. Thank you for helping yeah, that. <laughs> Mitch, we've had Mitch Halleck on the show. He's been very nice to us and yeah, other places and job. stuff. He is. So now, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Instagram, Ron Garniart, uh, Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter hardly at all. I, I find that place to be. You know, I think Star Wars said it best, the wretched hive of scum and villainy. And um, so I'm on that and then Facebook. Uh, you can see me on Facebook. You know, I have a fan art page on there and a regular page. Um, but that's it. So I... Instagram mostly is where I spend most of my time because it's, it's all the visual stuff, you know, so it makes more sense. I literally just opened up my Instagram account to try and follow you just in case I didn't. I was already following. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're there. <laughs> Am I following you? Uh, no. Oh, gosh. Well, we'll have to rectify that. Well, I'm going to like one of your photos right now. Fast sometimes. You don't even see who ends up following you. Dude, that work in progress is gorgeous. Holy shit. <laughs> we, oh, the, the Berserker, the first one there. I'm getting uh, very Chris uh, Somney meets, uh, what's his name, uh, Frank Miller vibes with this. That is uh, good. Well, Ron Garney. 
Dude, totally. that looks gorgeous. A plus. <laughs> I love that both those guys work though. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's the the Frank Miller thing is funny because I've gotten a lot of com- comparisons to that and Jr. The and head not, punch not was purpose. It's just once they started inking my own stuff, and you know, I mean, I so there's a lot of guys who played around with this, you know, breaking up the black style. You know, even Alex Raymond did it. You know, and I've been influenced by all that. You know, so I'm just trying to do what comes out of me naturally. I'm not trying to be anything else. I mean, there might be little things here and there where it, it comes through pretty strong, though. And I have to say, though, with that head punch scene in issue number one, that reminds me straight up of Frank Miller's stuff, especially Sin City. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, let's see. There was one which I did look at him on one panel. I think when his feet came through, I liked the way he broke up the glass on the windshield. I thought that was really cool the way he made it. He drew in every little square piece, like in a million little pieces. So I, I, I used some of that, and that was pretty neat. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Ron Garney. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! It's Obsessed with Marvel. Ron Garney, our guest. Thank you again. And... Let's go with question 2,481. <laughs> Who was the original Citizen 5, represented by the letter V? Unless I'm saying it wrong and then are, it's, it's Citizen V. v. I think there it's we go. V. Who was the original Citizen V figures? J.J. Watkins, Dallas Reardon, Paulette Brazee, or John Watkins? Who was the original Citizen V? J.J. Watkins, Dallas Reardon, Paulette Brazee, or... John Watkins. I, I have zero idea. I'm going to go right. with... It's unanimous. The third one. Call it... <laughs> it could be Brazy. B-R-A-Z-E-E. Right. Okay, so we can go with that. We'll go along with what Ron said. Let her yep. see. Let's try it and see what happens. I Noth- know it's wrong. Nothing happens. <laughs> Let her see. Here we go. No. The, the answer is D, John Watkins. Uh-huh. Well, Save actually, that for that future. my first answer, but... I <laughs> I like the way he thinks. <laughs> I like that brutal honesty because nobody else has said that, that I can recall in recent or old memory even. That was my first answer. Oh, that was totally my first answer, but, you know, I just, I, you know. There actually was. In my life. Oh. <laughs> I thought about it. I'm like, well, that sounds like it would be the right answer because, it, I don't know, there's something about the name. Yeah. But then I started thinking, well, Citizen V, I started thinking about something that's not, a name that might sound a little more foreign. So I went with the third one. So may, I don't know, maybe because two of the answers, last name were Watkins, it was leaning you towards, like, hey, it's got to be one of these two. His name is Bob Johnson. How, oh, how exotic. Not, <laughs> <laughs> and after all that, I'm still not quite where I need to be for the next question. Oh, here we go. Oh, there's a picture of Moon Knight. Hey, Mooney. All right, question number Hello. 1957. Where is Tandy Bowen from? Is it Shaker Heights, Ohio? Columbus, Ohio? Chicago, Illinois, or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Tandy Bowen. I think we know her as Dagger from Cloak and Dagger. I think she's from a Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Shaker Heights, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, he sounded pretty confident with the Columbus, Ohio. I was well, going to say Shaker Heights. Yeah, well, you know what? Two Ohios. Maybe it is one of them. 
And Peter's like nodding it, like, yeah. say Columbus, say Columbus. Let's just try Columbus. My gut is saying Philadelphia, just FYI. Letter B. No, the answer is Shaker Heights, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this book does it every time. Yeah, that, this time I went with my first instinct, and I was right. Okay, that's usually go. It's the it's the Ron Garney sense going off. I get it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Everybody's got one. Some don't have a lick of sense. I have a Ron Garney sense, too. I'll bet you do, you <laughs> plagiar or whatever. Lo- I used to hear, when I was younger, I used to hear that from the ladies, but you know, I get to from two comic guys on a podcast. Uh, what comic? They use the term very loosely. Okay. <laughs> Question number 1647. Armbar. Which superhero did Namor combat in Tales to Astonish number 82 from 1966? Good boy. <sighs> Namor. Against who in Tales to Astonish 82? The Hulk, Iron Man, listen to him. The Hulk, Iron Man, Captain America, Daredevil. 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 He says it with conviction before I can even read all the choices. I I, talked about that. Okay. Earlier, unless it's a different issue, but I think that's what. You know, so I think we're we're going to Daredevil, letter D, because D is for Daredevil. and That's good enough for me. Well, DD. It's saying no. It says Iron Man. I was originally going to say the Hulk. There you go. All I remember is how Daredevil tried to use the electricity from the lamppost to zap Namor. um, And Daredevil is a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just recalled at the beginning of this where, Ron, you said, you know, Iron Man, uh, I guess, stuck out as one of the early characters you maybe gravitated to or something. I just remember a certain cover, and I just remember the the rivets and and the lettering and the... There's just something about the way it was drawn. It just, mm. I don't know. It was, and the fact that it was a guy in a metal suit was different to me than the other characters. I don't know. It just was just neat, something neat about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. One more. That'll really put the last nail in the coffin. Let, <laughs> <laughs> number 33. Wait, are we, are we being buried by Daredevil? We're going back to Dracula now. <laughs> oh, boy. All righty. Why doesn't... Oh, let's get this right, please, for the love of God. Why why doesn't Black Bolt, ruler of the Inhumans, speak? Your choices are, he only speaks in times of political crisis. He was born mute. He communicates by telepathy, not by speech. His voice creates powerful vibrations that could destroy a city. That one. D, D and D, please, let's do this, D. Oh, finally hear the ringing of the bell. One out of four, I think that was. Ding, 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 ding. Unbelievable. That was yeah. Funny. Like I said, I don't know the history of these things like everyone else. I didn't read them as much as much, but yeah, we knew that one at least. Whew. Thank you. That's pathetic, isn't it? 